live from the WLIWFM studio on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Monday, January 15th, 2024. I'm Gianna Volpe. Answering a lot of questions I had this January. Should the state of New York be breeding pheasants for hunters? Critics say the state's $750,000 program is flawed. The feathered remains of pheasants were strewn along a stretch of Sunrise Highway, about a half mile from the edge of Otis Pike Preserve in Manorville earlier this month. I remember seeing a number of live birds and was thinking, geez, that seems unusual to me. This answers uh, quite a bit. And also, I've seen uh, many uh, a dead uh, bird as well. Uh, Michael Mackey reporting every 15 or 20 feet, a disembodied wing, leg, striped tail feathers, coppery chest feathers, and tufts of iridescent teal were scattered across the grass. Farther along, one pheasant was beginning to decompose on the frozen soil. Tracy Tullis reporting on Newsday.com that it was early January, just a few days after the two-month pheasant hunting season in Suffolk County had ended. But by then, nearly all the pheasants that briefly roamed the woods in and near the preserve were probably dead. Some were shot by hunters, but the majority were killed by cars eaten by hawks or other predators, or starved. Since 1909, New York State has bred and reared ring-necked pheasants to provide sport for hunters. Every fall, roughly 30,000 birds are packed into boxes at the Reynolds Game Farm near Ithaca, which is owned and operated by the DEC and released on state-owned lands. About 1,950 pheasants were released this year in the Otis Pike Preserve and another 1,950 in the Rocky Point Pine Barren State Forest, where the pheasant season lasts from November 1st to December 31st. The DEC also provides approximately 30,000 day-old chicks to clubs for each groups and individual growers who raise the birds for release on Lands open for public hunting, according to the DEC website. But pheasants are not native to North America. They were imported from East Asia in the 19th century as game birds. And although they flourished for a time in grasslands and farmland hedgerows, landscapes similar to their native habitat, those landscapes largely have disappeared. Plus, the DEC acknowledges only about 44% of the pheasants released Throughout the state are bagged by hunters, and very few of those remaining will make it until spring. In other news, when her three children were young, Regina Crawford would take them to beaches in Shirley, Patchogue, and East Islip, each about 20 minutes from their North Bellport home. They would never make the four-minute drive down Station Road to Bellport Village and take the ferry to Ho-Hum Beach on Fire Island. Carl McGowan reporting on Newsday.com that Ho-Hum was and still is off limits to Crawford. The village-owned beach is open only to Bellport property owners and their guests, including summer renters. Crawford saying, I've never been there and I've, I've lived there. I've lived here since 2007. Crawford and her neighbors in the predominantly Hispanic and black hamlet 
could one day have a chance to soak in the rays at Ho-Hum. First-term Brookhaven Supervisor Dan Panico, in his inaugural address last week at Brookhaven Town Hall, said he plans to ask Belport Village officials to open the beach to all town residents, including those in North Belport. Panico, a Republican, called the village's beach access rules absurd. Ho-Hum is the only Fire Island beach with such restrictions, according to Susie Goldhirsch, president of the Fire Island Association Civic Group. Panico said opening the beach to non-village residents would narrow at least some of the racial and economic divide in what he called one of the most de facto segregated communities on Long Island. Panico said last Thursday the town of Brookhaven would help pay Bellport Village costs associated with expanding beach access. Ho-Hum Beach, located between Smith Point County Park to the east and the National Park Service's Watch Hill to the west, can be reached only by private boat and the village ferry. Generally, it's open only to village residents and their guests, but people renting summer homes may go there with a village past, uh, costing $525 annually per family and also permitting access to village tennis and golf facilities, according to the Bellport government website. So quite a bit of economic division that would still remain even with just simply allowing the access. There is uh, uh, quite a bit, you know, uh, there's that whole ferry uh, drive and cost to uh, put into account there. Uh, Speaking of narrowing racial and economic divides, uh, reading Riverhead Locals reporting on today, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the state and federal holiday commemorating the birth of 20th century civil rights leader, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King was born January 15, 1929, the son of a clergyman, pastor, missionary, and one of the most gifted orators in American history. King became the leader of the American civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s. Inspired by Mahatma Gandhi, he adopted Gandhi's method of nonviolent resistance as, quote, the most potent weapon available to oppressed people in their struggle for justice and human dignity. I think I'll be playing one of Martin Luther uh, King Jr.'s statements that include uh, that quote by him. A federal holiday honoring King was signed into law on November 2nd, 1983 by U.S. President Ronald Reagan. It was observed for the first time in 1986, Martin Luther King Jr. Day was observed in all 50 states for the first time in 2000. Quite late. All government offices, courts, and schools are closed. Today, most libraries will not be open. Banks are closed. The New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, and all bond markets closed, as well as all post offices. There's no mail delivery, priority mail express operating as normal. UPS is closed. Regular domestic ground and air delivery service closed as well. A limited number of UPS stores are open. FedEx will also be delivering and picking up. They are open with regular ground service, home delivery, office and freight operating normally. The LIRR operating on a regular weekday schedule today 
with off-peak fares in effect all day long. Suffolk County Transit buses operating on a regular weekday schedule. Uh, New York City subway is running as well uh, as per normal MTA buses operating on a modified weekday schedule. Here in Southampton, the Southampton African American Museum is presenting the Black Power exhibit, The Revolutionaries, in collaboration with the Bold Arts Society and the Innovation Charter School in East Harlem, a provocative and educational interactive exhibit that takes visitors on a journey of black revolutionaries and revolutions from around the world in chronological order uh, order from the 14th century to present day. We're going to have to have Brenda on to talk about this. The South Af- uh, the Southampton African American Museum is known for its work highlighting the revolutionaries who paved the way for black people on the East End, or Dr. Greer Key, of course. The museum sits on land, which was once a barbershop, beauty salon, and juke joint. It served as a pivotal place for black people from Southampton to congregate in the late 19th and early 20th century. Today, it's recognized as a historic landmark at 245 North Sea Road in Southampton, New York, 11968. For more information, visit saamuseum.org or stay tuned to hear us speak with Brenda Simmons or someone else uh, that is involved with the museum. We'll be celebrating MLK Day here on The Heart with a playlist chock full of songs as well as speeches uh, by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Probably my favorite day of the year. Uh, I, I tend to pick something new from Dr. King that I hadn't played before. Uh, often his speeches are long, and I love that. Uh, we're also going to be talking with Phil Andrews, the president of both the Long Island African American Chamber of Commerce and 100 Black Men of Eastern New York at the bottom of the next hour during our MLK Day edition, underwritten by Jennifer Benton and Glenn Hansen Studio. Reading the weather in Freeport in honor of Phil. Looking like mostly cloudy today with a high near 33 degrees. Wind chill between 20 and 25. Uh, when, uh, west wind, 8 to 10 miles per hour tonight. Snow likely, mainly after 10 p.m. Cloudy otherwise with a low around 28 degrees. Wind chill values between 20 and 25 degrees. West wind 5 to 7 miles per hour becoming northeast after midnight. Looking like a new snow accumulation possible between 1 and 2 inches. Right now it is 25 degrees. And where will we start? How about a little happy birthday by Stevie Wonder about exactly what we're celebrating today. This is from the Hotter Than July record of 1980, right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
If it weren't for that darned second wolf, huh? You know, the the second half of the uh, speech by Dr. King Jr. that I I chose, the big speech, I have a a couple little ones, has to do with that second wolf, what what he calls the the schizophrenia of society. Uh, And and perhaps one of the main reasons why... uh, and Dr. King's dream remains totally un, tot, not not totally realized today in 2024. One need not look far or think much to uh, know that that is the case. Um, but this this speech that I, I chose, which is from March third, nineteen sixty eight from Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, deals with exactly that, with unfulfilled dreams. And we play it today on Martin Luther King Jr. Day in honor of him and in honor of all those out there who are taking the lonely road and uh, fight for peace, it's it's a funny thing to think about. Um, to all you nonviolent protesters out there, and all the people walking that lonely, bewildering path, we see, we see you. And from the bottom of the heart of the East End, we're with you. Sometimes it's overlooked. It is one of It is not one of the most familiar passages in the Old Testament. But I never will forget when I first came across it. It struck me as a passage having cosmic significance because it says so much in so few words. about things that we all experience in life. David, as you know, was a great king. And the one thing that was foremost in David's mind and in his heart was to build a great temple, the building of the temple was considered to be the most significant thing facing the Hebrew people and the king was expected to bring this into being. 
David had the desire, he started. And then we come to that passage over in the eighth chapter of 1 Kings, which reads, And it was in the heart of David, my father, to build an house, for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And the Lord said unto David, my father, whereas it was in thine heart to build a house unto my name, thou didst well that it was within thine heart that's really what I want to talk about this morning. It is well that it was within thine heart. As if to say, David, you will not be able to finish the temple. You will not be able to build it. But I just want to bless you because it was within thine heart. Your dream will not be fulfilled the majestic hopes that guided your days will not be carried out in terms of an actual temple coming into being that you were able to build. But I bless you, David, because it was within thine heart. You had the desire to do it. You had the intention to do it, you tried to do it, you started to do it, and I bless you for having the desire and the intention in your heart. It is well that it was within thine heart. So many of us in life start out building temples, temples of character, Temples of justice, temples of peace. So often we don't finish them. Because life is like a Schubert's unfinished symphony. At so many points we start, we try. We set out to build our various temples. And I guess one of the great agonies of life is that we are constantly trying to finish that which is unfinishable. We are commanded to do that. And so we, like David, find ourselves in so many instances having to face the fact that our dreams are not fulfilled. Now let us notice first that life is a continual story of shattered dreams. Mahatma Gandhi labored for years and years for the independence of his people, 
through a powerful nonviolent revolution. He was able to win that independence for years. The Indian people have been dominated politically, exploited economically, segregated and humiliated by foreign powers, and Gandhi struggled against it. He struggled to unite his own people, and nothing was greater in his mind than to have India as one great united country moving toward a higher destiny. This was his dream. But Gandhi had to face the fact that he was assassinated and died with a broken heart because that nation that he wanted to unite ended up being divided between India and Pakistan as a result of the conflict between the Hindus and the Muslims. Life is a long, continual story of setting out to build the great temple and not being able to finish it. Woodrow Wilson dreamed the dream of a League of Nations. But he died before the promise was delivered. The Apostle Paul talked one day about wanting to go to Spain. It was Paul's greatest dream to go to Spain, to carry the gospel there. Paul never got to Spain. He ended up in a prison cell in Rome. This is the story of life. So many of our forebears used to sing about freedom. They dreamed of the day that they would be able to get out of the bosom of slavery, the long night of injustice, They used to sing little songs. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows but Jesus. They thought about a better day as they dreamed their dream. And they would say, I'm so glad the trouble don't last always. By and by, by and by, I'm going to lay down my heavy load. And they used to sing it because of a powerful dream. So many died without having the dream fulfilled. And each of you this morning, in some way, is building some kind of temple. The struggle is always there. It gets discouraging sometimes. It gets very disenchanting sometimes. Some of us are trying to build a temple of peace. We speak out against war, we protest, but it seems that your head is going against a concrete wall. It seems to mean nothing. And so often as you set out to build the temple of peace, you're left lonesome. You're left discouraged, you're left bewildered. Well, it is the story of life and the thing that makes me happy is that I can hear a voice 
crying through the vista of time, saying, it may not come today or it may not come tomorrow, but it is well that it is within thine heart. It's well that you are trying. You may not see it. The dream may not be fulfilled, but, but it's just good that you have a desire to bring it into reality. It's well that it's in thine heart. Thank God this morning that we do have hearts to put something meaningful in. listening to the heart of the east end mlk day on wliwfm
The Detroit Mix. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Do a nice three decade jump forward in time to India. Ari. Strength, courage, and wisdom from the acoustic soul records. And wishing you exactly that strength, courage, and wisdom on this MLK Day. Here we go. WLIWFMs, part of the East End with Gianna Volpe. Playing music from all decades and genres. Interviews with folks from all walks of life. All because of you, the listener supporter. Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We are WLIWFM. News you can trust, music you love. Inside my head there is a dream that I want to see in the sun. Behind my eyes there lives a me that I've been hiding for much too long. Cause I've been too afraid to let it show. Cause I'm scared of the judgment that may follow. Always putting off my living for tomorrow. Oh 
Stay tuned for Phil Andrews at the bottom of the next hour. I'm Jenna Volpe. That was India Ari. This is Shaky Graves. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. You're listening to WLIWFM. 88.3 and 96.9 FM. Streaming online at WLIW.org slash radio. Well, 
Thank you. Don't forget about the importance of the pen. Indeed, mightier than the sword. Writing is invocation. Bring into being that which you would like to see in the world. Gosh, I hope that's good stuff for all. This is Toucher's Martin Luther King from the Blythe Record of 2008. got another great MLK snippet coming at you in just a minute. First, Frederick Douglass, Kirkpatrick, Gene Humphreys, and Pete Seeger. There was a man from Atlanta town, from a mountaintop. He had a dream. <laughs> he marched with God. Birmingham jail. Down on his knees. I think this is my best MLK playlist yet. He conquered hate. He marched with God. Man is a man. In spite of it all. It's nothing but a man. He must not fall. A woman too. Said Rosie Parks. Down dusty roads to courthouse squares. Wherever he went, love was always there. The dream he had was full of peace. It burned his soul, he must not cease. 
in brotherly love, he marched with us all until that day he met his fall. There was a man from Atlanta town, he's gone now, his word still stands, let us march with God. I think uh, we are dealing with uh, two matters here. On the one hand, we are dealing with the problem of grappling with behavior and controlling behavior. On the other hand, we are dealing with changing attitudes. Now, I quite agree that uh, attitudes are not often changed overnight. And in this sense, it may be true that you cannot legislate morals. But while it is true that uh, morality cannot be legislated, uh, we, must we must see the other side, and that is that behavior can be regulated. Uh, the law may not change the heart, but it can restrain the heartless. And uh, I think it is uh, an immoral uh, posture uh, to hold the position that individuals, whether they be Negroes or members of other minority groups, should have their basic constitutional and God-given rights held up until some misguided individuals uh, are able to change their attitudes. I think by changing the system itself, we are often able to make it easier for individuals to change their attitudes. And uh, I think by bringing desegregation into being, it will cause many people who are slow to change their attitudes move to the point uh, of changing their attitudes easier than they would otherwise. Well, Negroes constitute uh, about one-tenth of the United States population. Do you think that they can achieve equal rights without the goodwill or agreement of the white majority, or in other words, do, don't you see your task primarily that of one of persuasion? Yes, I think uh, this is very basic, but I wouldn't say it's only persuasion. I see it as both persuasion and uh, legislation and all that goes along with that, both persuasion and moral coercion. Uh, I think it's quite true that if we're to have an integrated society, it must come by a change of the heart and through persuasion. On the other hand, I think you can legislate desegregation. Uh, I think that the habits, if not the hearts of men, have been and are being changed every day by judicial decrees, executive orders from the president, and by legislative acts so that you cannot uh, legislate integration, but you can certainly legislate desegregation. And there is a difference between the two. Jenny Bird leading us into the NPR news break at the top of the hour. After the man himself, MLK, Junior. We've all come on different ships. We're in the same boat now. We've all come on different ships. We're in the same boat now. We've all come on different ships. We're in the same boat now. We're in the 
With Long Island local news on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, January 15th, 2024, I'm Jenna Volpe on WLIWFM. More than 100 Long Island school districts recorded student opt-out rates above the state rate in the latest round of statewide testing in grades 3 through 8 driving a boycott movement that has long impacted New York. Supporters describe the movement as a protest against a testing system they say has discouraged creative learning in favor of classroom drill work. Opponents respond that disruption of testing has deprived taxpayers and others of accurate scoring data they need in order to judge district performance. John Hildebrand and Anastasia Valiva reporting on Newsday.com that New York remains a rarity nonetheless in the strength of its opt-out movement. A leading national test critic, Bob Schaefer, said he knew of only two states, New York and Colorado, with boycott movements of any size. Quote, New York in general and Long Island in particular are national leaders in the test opt-out movement, and the Board of Regents seems to be taking this seriously. Also here on Long Island, Peconic Bay scallops are as delicate as they are delicious, but at the moment, most of the adult scallops in Peconic Bay are dead. They died in 2019, and nobody knew Exactly why, Christopher Mogg reporting in the New York Times that they died again the following year, about 90, 98% virtually all of adult scallops dead in their pink and green and gray shells along the bottom of the bay. And most of them died every year after. But for fishermen on Shelter Island, scallop season without scallops comes as no surprise. A great harvest in 1894, which it's interesting because we talked about 2019 the year before was a great one. So a great harvest in 1894 was followed by a bust the following year when locals blamed their neighbors for overfishing. Hurricanes destroyed uh, destroyed the scallop beds in 1938 and 1954. A shortage of eelgrass habitat Uh, depressed populations for much of the 1930s and overabundance of algae nearly killed bay scallops off entirely in 1985 and again in 95. The current die-off is no less severe, but it may last longer than any that came before, according to Stephen Tettelback, a shellfish ecologist with the Cornell Cooperative Extension of Suffolk County, Scallops can survive the bay's rising water temperatures caused by warming seas. According to Mr. Tettelback, they can survive the arrival of a new parasite or they can survive the normal stress of spawning, but most cannot survive all three. The result, peconic bay scallops spawn by the millions, then die before they reach harvestable age and size. Since the latest die-off started, Tettleback and his team have periodically dived along the bottom of the bay in scuba gear, searching for adult survivors. These are transported to the extension's hatchery in Southold, where the scallops are held in tanks until spawning season. Their offspring, hundreds of thousands of little shells, are taken back to the bay where they supplement the wild population and where their genetics hopefully will prove more tolerant, according to Harrison Toby, an aquaculture specialist at the extension, 
Early results are promising, Mr. Toby said, but there's no way to know when these efforts will help the population rebound. Could be years before the boom harvest of the last century return. In the meantime, diners intent on eating fresh bay scallops may need to travel to Massachusetts. Cooler water around Nantucket and a healthy spring spawn have resulted in a robust population and talk of a scallop surplus in 2024. And finally, today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, celebrating the birthday of the 20th century civil rights leader here on The Heart with a playlist chock full of songs and uh, information and also by talking with Phil Andrews, the president of both the Long Island African American Chamber of Commerce and 100 Black Men of Eastern New York at the bottom of the hour. Our MLK Day edition of The Heart is underwritten by Jennifer Benton and Glenn Hansen Studio, and we'll be reading the weather in Freeport in honor of Phil, looking like a mostly cloudy Monday with a high near 32 degrees, so just about freezing, though, wind chill values will put us well below that 20 and 25 degrees. West wind, 7 to 9 miles per hour. Tonight, snow likely, mainly after 10 o'clock. Cloudy otherwise with a low around 28 degrees. Wind chill between 20 and 25. Again, west wind, 5 to 7 miles per hour. Um, becoming northeast after midnight. Looking like a 1 to 2 inch accumulation possible of new snow. Right now it's 27 degrees and I'm going to kick it off with a little bedtime history uh, from this year from the inspiring black Americans record of 2023, Martin Luther King, and then a little snippet of Dr. King himself talking civil rights versus social privilege uh, from a press conference in 1963 or from the press conferences of that year as we lead into our Monday meditation underwritten by Glenn Hansen Gallery, Phil Andrews joining us at that time. I'm Jenna Volpe and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. You're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, W-L-I-W-F-M, news you can trust, music you love. So this coming month, February, is Black History Month in the United States and Canada. Black History Month is a time for us to remember important people and events in the history of people of African descent around the world and in our countries. Black History Month can be traced back to 1926, when Carter G. Woodson founded Negro History Week to recognize the achievements made by African Americans. Carter Woodson was a Harvard University graduate, and he chose February as the month to celebrate black history because the birthdays of Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln were both in February. Both of these men had worked hard in their lifetime to end slavery in America. We thought that for this month's first episode of Bedtime History, we would focus on one of the great black rights activists and civil rights leaders of American history, Martin Luther King Jr. Civil rights are the rights of citizens to political and social freedom and equality. 
While it may seem obvious to most of us these days that all humans should be treated equally, this was not always the opinion of many people. In fact, the fight for civil rights was a long and difficult battle and was, was only successful due to the strong efforts of individuals who had a passion for helping others. One of these important people was Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. was born on January 15, 1929 in Atlanta, Georgia. His dad was a pastor and his mother was a school teacher. A pastor is a minister in charge of a Christian church or congregation. Martin also had an older sister named Christine and a younger brother named Alfred. They grew up in a wealthy area of Atlanta called Sweet Auburn, where many black families lived at the time. Martin knew from a young age that he enjoyed a great childhood and a good education that not many black children in America at the time had access to. It inspired him to want to help other black children have the same opportunities to live a good life. He was also inspired by his father, who worked hard on activities to try to improve the lives of black people and achieve equality. Martin was a very good student and he worked hard to get good grades. And because of his hard work, he got into college when he was 15 to study law and medicine. It was called Morehouse College and was the same college that his father and his grandfather had attended. Even though Martin did not originally plan to become a pastor like his father, he became more and more interested in religious studies and politics during his time at college. Martin decided to finish a Bachelor of Divinity degree so that he could become a pastor too. Martin was a popular student even though he was one of the only black students in a mostly white college. He finished his degree in 1948 and was elected president of his class in his final year. After he graduated, Martin moved to Boston to attend Boston University when he was 24. While he was there and studying for a higher level degree, he met Coretta Scott. Coretta was a singer from Alabama who was also in college in Boston. She was studying music at the New England Conservatory of Music. Martin and Coretta fell in love and got married in 1953. After Martin's studies were finished, they moved to Montgomery, Alabama. Martin became the pastor of a church there called the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. He was a great pastor and had a special gift of being a very good public speaker. People always paid attention to what he had to say because he was well-spoken and delivered his sermons in a very convincing style. Martin and Coretta had been living in Montgomery for a short time when they started to have children. At the time, the city of Montgomery was also a center for civil rights struggle in America. The city was very segregated. This means that black and white people were divided and expected to live apart from each other. Some people challenged the rules that forced them to live apart. This led to a court decision about segregation of students in schools. The court decision decided that while black and white kids had been separated in the past, they were now allowed to go to school together. The decision was a great victory for those who wanted equality for all people and the end of segregation. However, the decision made some people who disagreed with these changes very angry. At the time, there was a lot of racism in the area. Racism means to have negative thoughts and actions towards people of a different race, based on the belief that your own race is better. 
The fight over civil rights grew greater in 1955. That year, a black woman named Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a white passenger on a bus, and she was arrested. The rules of the time said that she was supposed to sit in the back of the bus, in the segregated section for black people. However, Rosa Parks refused to go to the back of the bus to protest this rule. To protest means to do something to show you were against a rule or a law. Rosa Parks' arrests made a number of people angry. A group of activists got together and decided to stop using the bus as a protest. An activist is someone who works to bring about political or social change. Activist groups started taking more and more actions to try to change the rules that limited equality for black people and separated blacks and whites. Martin Luther King Jr. became the leader and spokesman of the activist group at the time. Martin started speaking as the leader of a group trying to fight racism and bring about equality peacefully. Martin admired Mahatma Gandhi and other peaceful activists from around the world in history. Gandhi and others were people who taught that the way to bring about real change in society was to protest, but not to be violent. Even though Martin was trying to change things peacefully, many people disagreed with him. Many of these people threatened him and his family. Some even tried to set his house on fire. This was very scary for Martin and his family, especially now that they had four young children. Even though it was a scary time for Martin and his family, they were proud of the success of their protests and how many people had joined the cause for equality. Next, Martin began traveling across America and giving talks to big groups of civil rights activists about nonviolent protest. His messages were becoming more and more popular, but also causing more and more people to be angry with him. In 1963, Martin and his friends protested segregation in Birmingham, Alabama, which was one of the most racially divided cities in the United States. Martin was arrested and had to spend time in jail. It was a sad time for him because he was away from his family, but he used this time to write letters to those who opposed him, peacefully trying to convince them of why equality was right and good. Later that year, when he got out of prison, Martin organized a march on Washington for jobs and freedom. A march is a type of protest in which people walk along public roads in an organized way to protest about something. The march was peaceful and it was attended by around 250,000 people. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. At the March on Washington, Martin gave his famous speech known as the I Have a Dream speech. It called for a peaceful world in which all people are treated as equals. Many people around the world watched Martin Luther King give this speech in person and on TV. Later that year, he was named Man of the Year by Time magazine. In 1964, Martin Luther King Jr. also became the youngest person ever to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. He was only 35 years old, and in August 1965, Congress passed a law that gave all black Americans the right to vote. 
This was a big step and would not have come about at that time if not for the hard work of Martin and his fellow activists. Sadly, a few years later, Martin's life and work were cut short when he was shot and killed. He was standing on the balcony of a motel in Memphis, Tennessee when someone shot him. The killer was a man that had escaped prison. He was later caught and sent back to prison. People across the country were saddened by Martin's death. The president at the time declared a national day of mourning, which was meant to be a time for the entire country to express sorrow over Martin's death. Later in 1983, the U.S. created a federal holiday in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. It is known as Martin Luther King Day and is on the third Monday of January each year. Martin Luther King Jr. was a brave and hardworking man. He fought hard for the things he believed in and to help others. He believed in equality and human rights for all people, regardless of race, ethnicity, skin color, or how rich or poor someone is. And he did so by always being peaceful himself. He was truly an incredible man. There is still much great work to be done as society works towards Martin's dream of full equality. But by learning about Martin and his life and work, you can join the conversation and become part of the efforts that are still underway in your country to bring about full and meaningful equality to all people. And the ways in which you can help society become a more peaceful, equal, and loving place. And if you haven't already heard it, I would recommend that you listen to the full audio of Martin's I Have a Dream speech. It is one of the most famous and amazing speeches of all time. Uh, I would say that our movement here in the United States is in a real sense a part of a worldwide struggle to break down the barriers of injustice and oppression. It is not an isolated or detached struggle, but it is a part of this worldwide struggle for freedom and human dignity. Now, I would say that our movement has been patterned after the Gandhian movement in India a great deal. Uh, I have been influenced by uh, Mahatma Gandhi a great deal, and I think this is true of many, many people uh, in the movement in the United States. Uh, some years ago, when I first studied the Gandhian uh, philosophy and the method of nonviolent resistance, I came to the conclusion that it was the most potent uh, weapon available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom and human dignity. And I would say that this overall direct action movement with its sit-ins and its stand-ins, its wait-ins, its kneel-ins, its mass marches and pilgrimages and all of the other elements that enter the struggle have been patterned a great deal uh, after Gandhi. Now there are certainly some uh, sociological differences in that in the United States we are a numerical minority uh, facing the opposition of uh, many individuals who form a numerical majority, when in India it was uh, the other way around. The other thing is that we are struggling for integration, when in India there was a struggle for independence, and there is a difference. In one instance you're seeking to gain freedom from a foreign invader. In the other instance, you're seeking to come to a new adjustment and the kind of integrated brotherly living uh, with the very people who in the same situation are oppressing you.
the man himself talking about civil rights versus social privilege here on the MLK Day edition of the Heart Morning and Midnight Show on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, leading us to the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour, a little after 1 o'clock. If you're listening to the replay, time for our Monday meditation underwritten by Glenn Hansen Gallery. Very grateful that Phil Andrews, the president of both the Long Island African American Chamber of Commerce and 100 Black Men of Eastern New York, could join us on the heart this morning. Welcome to the show, Phil. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be speaking to you for the first time on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday and would love to start by asking you how the increase of Black-owned business and enterprise in particular are intertwined with the continued realizations of Dr. King's dreams. Well, one of the things that uh, many people do not know about Dr. King, he was um, for pay parity, economic development. He had the uh, Poor People's Campaign. So he knew that um, economic development and parity was just as important as the uh, civil rights movement around um, being able to get on a bus, being able to go into a hotel. So it had to work hand-in-hand that people needed a better quality of life through uh, economic justice. And, of course, he worked very hard as far as the legislation beside, uh, behind civil rights is concerned. But I remember going to a protest um, early in, or amidst the Black Lives Matter movement, the beginning of that movement, and uh, hearing a strengthened message uh, as far as Black-owned business is concerned. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the Long Island African-American uh, Chamber of Commerce and uh, some of the uh, programs and philosophy that run along those uh, lines? Yes, we believe that there's great potential uh, for the um, African-American businesses in the community, uh, but we do need some um, societal support in the form of government and corporations because there's such disparities. Uh, recently, we have been part of a $100 million grant from the White House called the Community Navigator Program that came out of the pandemic because uh, we lost, as you know, we lost so many businesses during right. the pandemic because right. when things get hard for society and we're on a lower economic level, it gets worse. So for the last two years, we've successfully helped businesses from A to Z with a $100 million grant from the White House, and we're making a, a big difference around the nation with, this, uh, with, the, with the support of the government. And, of course, there was racial disparity as far as the economic uh, issues and, and medical issues, all sorts of issues, every issue that was connected to the pan- pandemic. Isn't that correct? That, that's correct, because even during uh, PPP loans, uh, many um, I've got many calls from uh, people that did not have banking relationships. You know, sometimes people are so successful and powerful, they have the banker in their Rolodex. Um, I had to tell businesses how to, which banks are approved by the SBA to give loans. That's one of the things that um, the Chamber of Commerce is very good at. Uh, we know how things work in society. Uh, we have a long history of working with Small Business Administration, SBDC centers, Empire State Development, and um, businesses can call us for help. You know, because when you are doing a business, you know, it's so much on a 
So Brian, as you know, fifty percent over fifty percent of African American businesses are solo employees and do not have mm-hmm. any employees. So imagine you're everything. Right. You're, you're the dishwasher, you're the bookkeeper, you're everything that a business needs. So we know that with the Chamber of Commerce, we're going to be making a difference in uh, bringing access and more services to the community. And it's interesting because especially when you're a, a small business operator, a solo uh, operator, uh, there are these tips and tricks. There's, there's so much uh, bureaucracy uh, surrounding and red tape that surround uh, decisions that can really uh, make or break a small business. So it's it's really wonderful that an organization like the Long Island African American Chambers Chamber of Commerce exists uh, because uh, this must be making all the difference to some folks who simply don't understand the politics around uh, certain economic programs. And the other thing I've learned too that uh, you know having support um, sometimes you could be at a point in your business where you think that you can't succeed anymore mm. you can't go on mm. so having the type of uh, psychological support motivation behind you uh, somebody being able to access people make calls for you get you uh, we've got quite a few uh, small businesses grants for QuickBooks we've got them grants for a ten week course for free. So we are, right now we're training them because we think it's more than just money because right. you can have all the money right. in the world and you don't have the right skill, you don't have the right uh, way you're looking at your business, right. you don't keep your books well. So we're looking at all of the things that we can support them around uh, small business. And one of the things I want to say about Dr. King, uh, Dr. King was very important in my childhood. Oh, I'm, I also looked at Dr. You know, King as you a know, motive. Phil. That was my that was my next question for you. Is can you talk about how Dr. King inspired you as a young person? You're reading my mind. Oh man, Dr. <laughs> King. One of the things that he did was I call him a motivator. He was a extremely uh, motivational when he said, "If you can't be this, if you can't be a mountain, be a molehill. If you can't." Great men are not made overnight. They're made through toilet while others are sleeping toilet. So I used to be as a child quoting his thing in the mirror, his quotes in the mirror, but because it was so motivational. But no, nobody ever looks at him as a motivator. And um, the second thing also that um, he is a massive communicator. Right. And I've once read that the, some of the most successful people in the world a massive communicator, and he has a platform. So I also use that as a way to, the more you could talk to people, the more people reach people, the more you can get your message out, you could have more impact. So he was just amazing to me as a child on so many different levels that most people don't think about. So speaking of youth, I'd love to hear more about 100 Black Men of Eastern New York and about the importance of mentorship uh, for our youth, uh, teaching our kids I'm sure skills exactly like that, communicating and and networking with others. But one of the models of the 100 Black Men is that what they see is what they'll be. And uh, we have to be let uh, expose ourselves to young people. It is the primary thing. Um, We could see, we can make millions of dollars, but while while we're doing good, we also want to impact young people because we got to take the next generation along with us. Otherwise, uh, our success is only going to be for a limited amount of time if we don't mentor. And uh, one of the new things that we're doing at the 100 Black Men is we have uh, 
change mentoring all the way up to mentoring across a lifetime where we could mentor up to 78 years old. Because as you know, some 25-year-olds be mentoring, some 45-year-olds be mentoring, and some 50. Amen. So we are, we, I love the concept of across a lifetime because I that's love what it that. takes. I absolutely love that, especially, you know, in this day and age. What a beautiful thing. Yes, and I was excited about it because, you know, we was primarily work with high school and college kids, uh, and it, and I thought that was a great addition. And one of the other things that we did, we added leadership onto the uh, – we have four for the future, mentoring, education, economic development, and health and wellness, plus leadership. If we don't teach leadership, we're going to be in trouble too. Right. And I love the quote, what they see is what they'll be. Uh, it, it really uh, speaks to – uh, the importance uh, personal uh, of taking personal responsibility and making sure uh, one is always presenting and putting their best foot and f- what what not uh, forward and uh, uh, showing to the world. That's true. Speaking of mentorship, can you talk about how the Tuskegee Airmen played a part in mentoring you? Well, one of my mentors, his name was Ed Monroe. Ed Monroe was a Tuskegee Airman. Um, actually, he passed away, but he, they named the street after him in Freeport. And what was very unique about Ed Monroe, he was just a charmer. And uh, you're going to love what he used to wish to whisper in my ear. He used to whisper in my ear, we all got a little Tuskegee in us. <laughs> I love that. And then there was a second one. Uh, his name was Silas Jenkins. He was out of Chicago. Uh, and he used to uh, take me to the Interfaith Nutrition Network, the end, uh, with that feed all 500 people a day on um, in Long Island. And he said, Phil, uh, you need to be involved in this. They're feeding our community. It's beautiful. So that ended up for me, for the last seven years, I've been on the board of directors uh, for the Inter- Interfaith Nutrition Network because my mentor, former Tuskegee Airmen, took me to the end and said, I need, I, we need to be involved in that. So food insecurity is a major, major issue uh, right now across the nation, across the world, uh, and definitely here on Long Island. Uh, do you mind talking a little bit more about the inn? Oh, yes. The inn is a very comprehensive, um, uh, this morning, just food services. They provide uh, health services, uh, they allow people to take um, a shower. And then for so many years, uh, the end was doing such a jo- good job uh, feeding the homeless. Uh, the building next door, the man, uh, the, the owner donated it for $1 to the end. And one of the things that the end did, they're, they're feeding them on, on the homeless and food security side, but they got a center for transformation change Right next to it, the oh, only fantastic. place in the in the country that could feed you on one side and then prepare you back to get into society. Because the question came up, like, all right, you've been feeding people 25, 30 years. How many people did you help get back into society? So it's the one most unique place in the country that we have that position to have, uh, you know, dealing with food security and also getting them to work, getting them medical, getting them their ID, everything you could think of trying to get them back into society right next to when they when they come in, and particularly a lot of them may be homeless. I think about you, Phil, 
uh, you are a, a rare person that that truly understands how comprehensive uh, racial and economic uh, disparity uh, is and and what it means and what it takes uh, to move up in society, as it were. Yes, I've been blessed. Um, also, too, I also believe I have a quote that I came up with. When we only work with ourselves, we disempower ourselves. So I also have uh, took uh, training with the Jewish Relations Community Council. I work with the Indian community. I work with the major society because we have to have a seat at the table. Right. You know, and if, and if we put into society, we'll be able to take something out. But I do believe that uh, my early childhood, uh, being raised by a very religious person, and we used to pick up the whole neighborhood. So I often tell people that leadership is not a new concept because I learned it as a child. Do you mind talking about that more? Because I, I really, I really want to explore a bit about, uh, you know, how a person like yourself comes to be and to become. Well, one of the things is my mother passed away when I was five years old, and I really don't know my mother. Um, but um, it was nine of us, but none of us went into foster care. And all the relatives um, took us in, two over here, two over here, one over here. So it taught me the importance of community and family. And um, I was raised by an extraordinary um, uh, aunt that was a valedictorian in high school but couldn't go to college because she had to work in the farm. So we, it really gave us a sense of um the value of education and, the, and in fact that one of our relatives was a valedictorian and then wasn't able to go to college because she had to farm. Mm. So those are like my early roots that really uh, started me to value hard work and, and appreciation for someone that took me because I could have been that foster care story. Right, right. And And how nice was it to be able to live with family who – I'm sure, shared stories about your mother with you. Oh, yes, it was wonderful. And it, it was so wonderful, um, and you know, being raised with my aunt. And um, when my cousin passed away uh, of my aunt's so uh, son, they had us down as a, a, a brother and a sister. It wasn't even like you was my cousin. You know, right. you was my brother. Right. And that, that's a, that was an extraordinary lesson in family and community. Uh, Phil, I want to make sure that folks know where they can find resources uh, for 100 black men of Eastern New York and the uh, African-American Chamber of Commerce throughout the island. Where can folks go to find out more information about the organizations that you work with as well as the inn? Well, one of the things you could do is um, you can uh, just Google largest African American Chamber of Commerce, uh, and our acronym is LIAACC, and our website is www.liaacc.org. We have a tremendous uh, uh, footprint. And the 100 black men, um, as you know, you may not know, I was a former president of a former chapter, and I um, founded the first new chapter since the 1970s that has come into the downstate area, and we have the ability to go into downstate, which means the Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, Long Island, and, and around the mass of Manhattan waters. So we think that um, 100 black men is so vitally important because during the pandemic, 
one of the things that we didn't find was a lot of voices of black men. Right. And we have a website called uh, at 100 Black Men in East New York, www.100bmeny.org. What led to that decision to found that chapter? Well, you know, because the founders, one of the things that led me to is that the the former chapter uh, was having some challenges, and those were my mentors. I mean, they gave some, so I could not sleep without um, knowing that the chapter continued because all of these young, all I came came into 100 Black Men Board of Directors at 25 years old, so I was just fortunate to be around such extraordinary men, and I could not rest until we put that chapter back into the community. Just unbelievably grateful to and for you and people like you, Phil. And again, very grateful we got to speak for the first time on the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I'm going to play Solemn Remy and play Say It Loud. And uh, this one featuring CeeLo Green from the from 2020, from the pandemic year and very excited to hear your conversation with our general manager Diane Michelli coming up uh, as d- date to be determined but coming soon to here uh, Long Island's only local NPR radio station thank you Phil thank you you're listening to WLIWFM Long Island's only local NPR radio station the Heart of the East End with Gianna Volpe and Phil Andrews.
reggae, my friends. It's Max Romeo. On WLIWFM. Everyone speaks of Marcos Gavé. No one remembers Martin Luther King. They talk about Jose Martin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one remembers Martin Luther King. All over the world he traveled, spreading the word of freedom, taking all the abuses, working for Jaja Kingdom. They talk about Captain Morgan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one remembers Martin Luther King. the word of freedom, taking all the abuses, working for Jaja Kingdom. They talk about President Roosevelt. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oliver and the mighty Sparrow lead you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour uh, hour, and end the MLK Day edition of The Heart. Often my favorite holiday to celebrate of the year. I love getting to listen to his speeches and remember this Giant. Martin Luther King Jr. No one person in the history of black America has inspired a nation as did Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He has been one of the country's most dynamic leaders in the fight 
for peaceful equality of all men. Martin Luther King was born January 15, 1929 in Atlanta, Georgia. His father was a well-known minister of one of Atlanta's leading black churches. In 1947, Martin Luther King was ordained a Baptist minister and later accepted the pastorship of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. During the 1950s, Martin Luther King became a leader in the civil rights movement, overtaking the South. His first challenge was the boycotting of buses in Montgomery, Alabama. Mrs. Rosa Parks, a black seamstress at the time, refused to give up her seat to a white passenger. The arrest of Mrs. Parks triggered the 382-day boycott by black passengers. Many of the whites blamed Dr. King for the success of the boycott, and threats on his life became very real when bombs exploded on his family's front porch. However, Dr. King stood fast in his conviction of nonviolence and urged his people to forgive their enemies and achieve a peaceful solution to their problems. The bus boycott was recognized as a clear victory for nonviolent protest, and King was regarded as a highly respected leader in the movement. Dr. King took part in many marches and demonstrations. A huge civil rights movement in Birmingham, Alabama, was followed by major drives for black voter registration. By 1967, Dr. King had been arrested and jailed 13 times for his nonviolent demonstrations. On August 28, 1963, a massive civil rights demonstration was held in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. Dr. King spoke to more than 250,000 people about his dream. This is part of his speech. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the people's injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a great black African-American hero and a great man of history. I'm Jenna Volpe. That was Ronald Tyke Oliver. This is the Mighty Sparrow and you, whoever you are out there. You're awesome. 
and you're listening to WLIWFM. News you can trust, music you love on 88.3 FM throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk County, streaming online to wherever you are at WLIW.org slash radio. Martin Luther King is dead and Now who do we have As a civil rights leader he stood for his father was assassinated one early April night. Well, now that his precious blood was shed, plenty gon' live and plenty gon' dead. It's gonna be a long Discrimination has gone too far. Luther King is dead. And now this we cannot avoid. Segregation must be destroyed. An apostle of peace was he. He gave his life for racial equality. During his struggles... Raise your hand if you've seen MLK FBI. He was awarded that coveted Nobel Prize. Brutally beaten and jailed many, many, many demonstrations were his only crime. Yet still he walked, I said he walked in the footsteps of Jesus. And just like Christ, he died for us. It's gonna be a long, Discrimination has gone too far. Luther King is dead. And now, this we cannot avoid. Segregation must be destroyed. An honorable, peaceful, and noble man. He was the greatest civil rights leader in the land. Assassinated at the age of 39. He was murdered while he was still in his prime. But he had a dream for America in his prime. Where the blacks and the whites will walk together hand in hand. Amen. 